Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. My dad actually used to drop me off in the woods at like 5 a.m. I'm 12 years old with a bow. My dad comes picks me up. I'm like, I got one. He was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, I did. I did. I got one. You know? And he's like, what do we do now? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, you're my dad. I uh, got a big game for 10 years. Uh, so far to where I'm at right now, uh, I've been a part of a little over 220 elk kills. And I, I almost get discouraged when I hear so many people upset that they're not having the success they want and they all think you have to be with an outfitter and they think you have to be on these high-end ranch hunts when you don't have to be i mean let's face it you can only be unsuccessful so many times before you give up on the sport or it's not fun um so that's where we really put so much focus on the scouting and hey it's very possible to do it yourself a mechanic knows everything about a car as a hunter you want to know everything you want to know where every road is where every trail is where multiple bedding grounds are multiple water sources where the food's at and they all have different characteristics they might not be in that pattern every day but they usually end up repeating that pattern at some point in time. Living Country in the City, Episode 7. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Living Country in the City. Uh, I am here still at the International Sportsman's Expo in Salt Lake City talking with some awesome people. I got a chance to sit down in the uh, RMEF Adventure Theater for a while uh, for one of these seminars, and I got to listen to our guest today, Nate Zelensky, talk uh, a lot about scouting, actually, yep. uh, for especially specifically for elk hunting, but uh, there's some really good content there, and I didn't want you all to miss out on it, so... Approached him after the show, stalked him for a minute, and uh, he agreed to sit down with me. Um, so, uh, Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining Absolutely, me. Absolutely, man. It's an honor to be here, for sure. Uh, why don't you give me a little background on yourself? Um, how, how did you get into hunting originally? You know, started off as a young kid, very similar to you. Didn't have anybody in the family that hunted. You know, my, my dad finally got into, like, small game, uh, you know, chasing some geese and, you know, that type thing. And I 
had an archery passion as a kid. Loved shooting, nothing crazy, just in the backyard shooting type thing. And uh, want to start a big game hunting. My dad thought I was crazy, uh, so he did the honor of dropping me off in the woods. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't probably announce this. I wasn't technically really legal. I don't think I didn't get to be 16 to, to hunt alone in Colorado. Um, you know, I was younger before a lot of those rules. And my dad actually used to drop me off in the woods at like 5 a.m. I'm 12 years old with a bow. I'd run around, and he would pick me back up in the dark. And, you know, I, I remember I finally shot my, my first animal. I uh, shot this little buck, and, you know, I'm, like, sitting on the side of the road. My dad comes picks me up. I'm like, I got one. He was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, I did, I did, I got one. You know, and he's like, what do we do now? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, you're my dad, you know. And so we loaded the truck hole. The thing's bloated, and we're, you know, driving around trying to find one of his buddies that knew what to do with an animal. Uh, and that was 12 years old, and I started getting big game hunts when I was 17. Uh, so just Holy found, moly. found a passion for it. Uh, so I started getting when I was 17, you're still in high school uh you know almost got expelled my, my senior year for missing so many dates uh got a big game for 10 years uh so far to where i'm at right now uh i've been a part of a little over 220 elk kills uh whether it's myself wow. or, or assisted or things like that filming so that's <laughs> that's quite a, <laughs> that, 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 quite a background right there <laughs> Absolutely. wow um so uh what are you doing now as far as hunting uh what's uh Kind of what's your hunting story for the a- moment? Absolutely. You know, I, I just want to be out in the woods. So, so I guided for, you know, 10 and a half years, 11 years. Um, it just got to the point where I didn't have time to hunt for myself. You know, I was loving it. I was guiding. We were very successful, um, you know, putting out on a lot of animals. But it just got to the point to where we were doing eight weeks of hunting. You know, so we had four weeks of archery, a muzzleloader, rifle hunts. So at the end of the season, if you had three, four days to hunt yourself, it is what it was. So I, I just kind of backed out of it for that reason. Um, hunted for a year or two just myself and realized, hey, I can't hunt 90 days in the fall without some sort of income. <laughs> so now I do a lot of promotional stuff. So we do a lot of stuff with Ford trucks, do a lot of stuff with Bowtech, Diamond, uh, do a lot of their media content. So we provide a lot of their how-tos. So you can always go to the Bowtech website, the Diamond website. Uh, you'll see my face there. We just released the new sonar bow from Diamond for bow fishing. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on that. So just more promotion, a lot of videos, a lot of how-tos. Um, I've been very successful to harvest a lot of giant bulls in Colorado. You know, free chase, public land, that type thing. And I I almost get discouraged when I hear so many people upset that they're not having the success they want. And they all think you have to be with an outfitter. And they think you have to be on these high-end ranch hunts when you don't have to be. So my passion is really to get out to the the general sportsman and say, hey, if you put the hard work in, I'm not saying it's easy, but if you put the hard work in, a dream hunt is very, very capable on a $40 tag. And so that was that was one of the things that really kind of spoke to me when I was listening to your presentation. My whole thing is I, you know, even when I started getting into hunting, I knew I knew about you know sitting in a tree stand, yep. uh, hunting whitetail, and that's that's about the extent that I knew. You know, I knew you could go shoot shoot ducks, I knew you yeah. could <laughs> hunt pig, and I knew you could sit in a tree stand, and that was kind of my uh, what I knew people did and. I always thought, okay, I, I, I'd hear these stories about big game hunters going out and, and going after bear and going after elk and, you know, wolves and yep. all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, these guys must have been hunting for 40 years <laughs> and have thousands of dollars. And and I, I never knew it was this super accessible thing until I started talking with uh, kind of one of my hunting mentors. Yeah. Uh, I uh, talked with him on our second episode of the podcast, Samson, but... Uh, he really opened my eyes to this whole world of big game hunting, yep. backcountry hunting, and it's a whole new world for me. Yep. But uh, the, but that really kind of spoke out to me during your presentation, um, just that you focus a lot on the DIY. That's yep. what you were talking about. Um, 
So you, you see it nowadays on like television and the education of sorts to do it. Why? But in reality, so much of it isn't that because I mean we're not like blaming TV, but to have a successful haunt, it's hard to to do it. You know, you have to go on the guided hunts, you have to go on the ranches to get it done for TV, and it's nothing wrong with it. It's just what it is. And there's so many I think untold stories of that it is so possible to do by yourself from scratch from somebody who's never hunted before. To, to get out there, and, and that's where we really focus on the scouting because, I mean, let's face it, you can only be unsuccessful so many times before you give up on the sport mm-hmm. or it's not fun. Um, so that's where we really put so much focus on the scouting, and, hey, it's very possible to do it yourself. So I'm planning, uh, it's looking like Idaho. I'm planning a September uh, bow hunt for Idaho, yep. and say I'm going into it, uh, I know a little bit about, you know, some of the tips and tricks for scouting. Yep. I've, I've done my reading here and there, but... Uh, Let's say I'm coming, I'm coming into this brand new. I want to do this backcountry hunt. Uh, I've been told, okay, I need to pick a location and, and, and so I can pick a unit and do some yep. scouting. Yep. How, do, what's, how, do I, how do I start? Where do we go from there? You know, the basic thing is education. It's like anything else you do in life. You know, a mechanic knows everything about a car. As a hunter, you want to know everything about the resource. And I say the resource because you have guys that scout property. You have guys that scout animals. You want to know everything. You want to know the public versus the private. You want to know where every road is, where every trail is. You know, you want to know where multiple bedding grounds are, multiple water sources, where the food's at. You know, then obviously know the animals. Hey, it's a, it's a bull-cow ratio of this. You know, when I'm scouting, obviously they're not going to be in, like, a rut situation. Uh, so you anticipate, hey, the, the bulls are here, the cows are here. Where's the interface going to happen? Where's that relationship going to take place? So it really just comes down to knowledge. One, you know, your general basis is, hey, you know, I'm not in Idaho right now. You know, let's say I live in, you know, L.A. We're going to do Google Earth and everything we can possibly do to, to just learn the lay of the land. So when you actually get out there, you can start plugging and play and all that stuff. But really, a, a good scouting trip is information in total. And as you start learning the land, you start learning rough ideas of the animals, then you start looking deeper. And like me personally, I pick a handful of animals. I say, hey, this is the, this is the bull I want. This is the buck I want. I try to start learning their habits, you know. How do they act? Are they skittish? Are they, you know, very, very upfront? Um, you know, are they dominant? Whatever the case would be, I try to learn everything about that animal. So where, when they're, when it actually time comes time to hunt that animal, it's just plug and play. I know what he's going to do. I know where he beds, where he drinks, how many times he drinks. Um, and it's just easy. To just get in there, good in place, and it turns them to a math problem. And you just plug A into B, and you know, there you go. So ideal situation is able to go out and visit, like you said, find. A- find a specific set of animals so you yep. can go in and you can say okay when it starts getting warmer at this time that's when they like to go bed down yep. versus this other animal they like to wait a little bit longer it, and it, go by the ex- water exactly and- you know because i mean they're all different everybody i think associates them being similar and even like bulls you know like, like elk is my focus point and i hunt them you know in colorado and wyoming and wherever i can get a tag or want to hunt that season um and they all have different characteristics. You'll have certain animals that, again, will drink in the morning. Certain animals that will drink right after they bed in the afternoon. Some animals will drink at night. And, I mean, they might not be in that pattern every day, but they usually end up repeating that pattern at some point in time. So I just try to build all that knowledge, and whether that's especially in, like, a long-distance scout. So where I always have one area that I hunt, which is as close to where I live as possible or closest to where I visit, to where I can visit the unit every couple days, keep up on animals. But when I hunt afar, um, I put most of my scouting effect into, like, cameras because I can't be there every day to watch the animals okay. to check up on the animals. So that's where I put cameras on the water source. I put a ton of cameras um, in and out of the bedding zones just to where I can start getting a rough idea of, hey, you know, this bull walks in front of the cows, walks behind the cows. He comes in or out this many times. Um, I'll hang ribbons on all my cameras. So I'll always have a ribbon hanging 
where my camera's pointed to where when I check that camera, I say, okay, you know, this picture of this animal's at 430, and my tape is facing left, so I know I have a downward wind current. Um, oh, that's a, so where that's I try a to neat do trick Everything right there. I can learn educationally, all it does is help. And, I mean, everything. You know, you watch the weather patterns. You're checking temperatures. It all is just information at some point in time is valuable to you as the, the do-it-yourself hunter. I've, that's, I, I must have missed that one during the seminar the, about the ribbons. That's uh, – I've never heard that one Nobody's before. ever, I, very few people ever hear about it. And it, it's huge because everybody has this, you know, idea. They're like, oh, man, this bull's hitting my water hole, you know, every day at 430. But they don't know. They're like, oh, he's kind of coming uphill. And, you know, they get so excited, they rush in there and they hunt it. Their wind's wrong. And, you know, they might take 90 days of scouting and throw it out the window. Because oh. they, they made that bad decision on the wind. If you have a rough idea where the wind's at, you know how to approach your water hole. You know which blind or stand or however you want to hunt it. You have a direction um, and can kind of take it that way. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And, again, Ideally, you're going to hunt an area that you can get into as much as possible. I mean, I tell people all the time, plan around your vacations. You know, if you have a family and kids and you don't have time to scout, pick an area to hunt that has a, an amusement park or whatever, <laughs> a cabin. You know what I mean? But an area that you can get into the most is, is going to help you out at the end of the day. And um, I think another thing that this is – a lot of people will say this is negative and they blame me. They don't like it. Um, I'm a hunter. I would say that I do – 80% of my hunts with a bow, but I'm all about the hunt. I love picking up a muzzleloader. I even love more picking up a rifle. I mean, after you bow hunt for 10 years, you pick up a rifle. There's the most empowering feeling in the world. You know, you can go <laughs> get it done. But I, like last year, I did a bow hunt in a rifle season in Colorado. Uh, I actually chose the latest rifle season to hunt because the opportunity of the animals. You know, everybody gets tied up on, on the season and weapon of choice. And in Colorado, you can downgrade weapons. So I drew a rifle tag because I wanted to hunt a winter herd of elk. I knew that in you know, years past, these giant bulls gather up in the tops of these valleys and these kind of secluded areas, and they get very, very panorable. You know, it's late November. Nobody's bothering them. It's extreme. Your snowshoes. Um, but, I mean, they literally wear a path in the snow, and it's the same thing every single day. They're not, you know, they're not chasing animals around the rut. They're not fighting. Nothing changes. So I actually chose this late rifle hunt, uh, you know, used a bow during it and, and had an unbelievable hunt. You know, I think I saw 114 bulls in five days. Um, you know, they're in big groups, you know, 40 bulls to a group. And it, but it's incredible. And so I think as a hunter, a lot of times, especially as a new hunter, don't get caught up in, hey, I'm a bow hunter. I can just bow hunt or, hey, I can just bow hunt during this season. Open your eyes to the best opportunity. Be successful and then change it up. You know, I, on the average year, I say, hey, you know, my best chance to, to harvest this dream animal is going to be with a rifle. You know, and I'll do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'd prefer to use a bow, but sometimes it doesn't happen. But keep your eyes open a lot of times, especially when we're talking about hunting close to home. Sometimes an archery tag might take years to get in a certain area, but you could draw a second rifle tag with nothing over the counter in using your bow during that season. But I just more preach Learn everything you can about a unit, learn about the animals, and then do your best odds to harvest that animal. So you mentioned uh, Google Earth for one. Uh, what other what other tools do you like uh, when you can't scout in person? What other tools I mean, do you like you to know, use? So, I mean, my general rule of thumb is how I do it in the sequence. It's not so much different tools, but I start off with Google Earth. I learn everything I can with that, learning the terrain. You know, depending on what state I'm in and what area, you know, you have different softwares available. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff put together, but even by the DNRs of each state that have, you know, best topographical maps, and they actually will roll in, you know, summer herds and, you know, winter range and things like that on these maps to see that. Uh, but for me personally, I mean, I, I almost stick to Google earth i'm very old school you know people listen to this i don't 
participate in social media that much. I have accounts, but you see I'm not active. Um, I'm the least technical person that you'll ever meet. <laughs> you know, I mean, having an iPhone is, is as hard as it gets for me. Um, but I start off Google Earth. I learn everything there. From that, I go on to long-range scouting, and that's my personal favorite to where I'll sit you know, in my truck or I'll sit on the top of a 14,000-foot mountain, and I'm glassing miles, you know, six, seven, eight miles, sitting behind the spotting scope. Um, and I'm just glassing, just trying to get a rough idea of where animals are at, how those animals act. Then I actually go in foot, get in closer, set up the cameras, uh, and kind of start walking it that way. And those are like the three styles that I do. The other big thing that I would say I do as a hunter is I plan my hunts accordingly. I keep up with my animals throughout the course of the winter. So I watch what winter kill happens. I get a rough idea when these animals are in a calm state in January, February, which animals got harvested. You know, I mean, I almost have a, a first-name basis with a lot of these animals. I'll say, okay, you know, so-and-so, a lion got him and got hit by a car, a hunter killed him. Um, and I really keep track of these animals in the winter and spring to where I know before I put in for my tag, depending on what, you know, state you're hunting, um, you know, tags are going to do sometime, you know, between January and April. Um, I can have a good idea of those animals where I say, hey, this particular area of the state really had a rough winter winter these animals are in bad shape this unit over here these animals look amazing i'm gonna hunt that area this type of year so i almost make a scouting mission year round you know but put a, put a lot of focus in that spring to where i make a good decision on tags and then really follow up with it i start hard in in say june you know once the animals start showing some antler growth um i kind of start with them and, and carry it on from there so can you point to any maybe uh, like specific stories or any 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 specific hunts where you can say, you know what, if if I hadn't done the scouting I did, I mean, you know, probably in yeah. any situation you no, can say definitely. that, but any specific stories where you can say, you know what, if I hadn't, hadn't done this, I would have totally screwed up this opportunity yeah. or totally lost this bull or whatever it oh, might be. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I had... Uh my, my biggest bull ever on, like, a, you know, the do-it-yourself type thing, uh, I got a, a big bull just shy of 390 inches, you know, totally, you know, did it myself, public land. Um, and this bull was in a big harem, uh, had 14 satellite bulls with him, had 40 cows, um, and did not care about anything. Wasn't a fighter, was very, very low-key. Um, and I, I was with him a couple days washed him and he was hard to hunt because most bulls you can at least locate in the morning they're screaming you can tell where they're at in the herd this bull by not being aggressive really had a big harem everything was spread out a normal big bull like that keeps his cows tight you have your satellites running around him it's fairly easy to understand what's going on this bull would let his cows wander i mean they'd be a quarter mile from him so it was hard because he would almost always stay in the middle but he had big groups around him. So getting close to that animal was tough. He wasn't aggressive to call, so I couldn't call him away from the herd. Uh, so it was a situation of literally walking up and shooting him. And that's what <laughs> you had to do to harvest this bull. And that's how most of my big animals have been killed. You know, the calls are great. I locate animals with calls. Most of my big bulls, you literally just kind of walk up and shoot. But that particular bull was hard for, for actually learning that. And on my, my fourth day, I had win the first three days of the hunts. I had a hard time getting on him. And the fourth day, I'm actually sitting on a ridge looking across it embedded, uh, just trying to you know play the wind and make sure my timing's right. And had another hunter from down below me actually spot him. The first time I've ever seen another hunter find this animal. Um, and actually pursued it. And I actually stopped the hunter, ran into him. I said, hey, man. You know, it's all fair chase. I said, when you're going up there, I said, just don't call to this bull. I said, don't get aggressive on your bugle. He's not into the calls. Uh, I said, you'll spook him away. And I knew the wind wasn't right, so I wasn't even going to pursue it. Again, I'm not that guy that thinks he's my animal. I mean, it's, it's all fair. Um, so I knew this guy was coming up Canyon. So I actually went around the backside. This guy went in there. First thing he did was threw a big bugle. The bull just took off. Um, it actually worked out. He broke up the whole herd. Um, 
they all kind of separated. I cow called and bugled and actually pulled most of the harem together except for him. Um, and he was off, and I literally just stood there and watched him walk in to, to regain the herd and, and made my shot 35 yards and, and got it done. Um, but knowing everything about that bull, I knew exactly how he would act, how he wouldn't chase the animals immediately, and it got it done. And most of the animals I've harvested have been like that. You know, just knowing what they can do. It's more good, bad decision-making, I would say, and all those lead up to, to a successful hunt. Well, it's one of those amazing things. You, you know, you're not only playing the animal, you're playing the pressure they're under. You're playing Absolutely. the other hunters. Um, I, I've got a couple of buddies who say they, uh, they absolutely love that first day of the season because they'll go to the other side of the, the mountain. <laughs> wait for him to go. <laughs> and, and just sit there when everyone comes running in yep. and, uh, and they And, and we talk about pick. that, you know, through scouting to have a plan A, B, and C. You know, we always have that. So many people put all their emphasis into one spot, and then when it does get blown by another hunter or bad wind or bad decision-making, their hunt's over. So we always, you know, preach, like through Google Earth, hey, you know, here's my, my spot one, zone one. You know, I have bedding, I have food, I have water. This is where they're living through my scouting. If something happens, where does that animal go? Where's its next range? We try to learn those areas to where as they get pushed, you can anticipate where that animal's going to where you can just, I mean, not miss a beat. Roll into that mm-hmm. second phase of that hunt. The animal, the knowledge is going to be the same. He's still going to drink at the similar time. I mean, the animal doesn't change. Just the area in which you're hunting him will change. Uh, so you hopefully have those plan ABCs and kind of, kind of roll it over that way. Um, the other big thing I can talk about, guys getting into it, like you're talking about, uh, you know, a, a backcountry hunt. Um, I do a lot of destination hunts. I do a lot of 10-mile from the truck type thing. I, unfortunately, don't believe in committing to a hunt. I'm... I don't like a relationship. I'm married. I got kids. I'm happy with my wife. But in the elk hunting world, I hate committing. Just because so many times you, you dedicate going on horseback, get way back in there, and your thermals are wrong, or the rut doesn't happen. You know, the, rut, the bull's still independent, and he's hard to hunt. And when you're forced to, to put pressure on an animal that's not ready, a lot of times you, you make mistakes and you, you ruin a hunt. To where I love having three, four animals, um, and I kind of watch them all daily. And when the time's right, that's the animal I go for that year. Um, you know, they might be one might be slightly bigger, slightly less, but I always try to play the, the optimal situation to be successful. Um, for example, I had a, a guy that works for me this year. Um, he wanted to hunt with his dad, had a, had a unit. He, we all try to pick units that have multiple options. So I love having a unit that has low territory, and I love something that would have tree line. So I try to pick a unit that has tree line, gnarly, rough, ugly country, and then at one side of the unit might have low-lying valleys, easy access, because those temperature changes will determine a rut. You know, hey, it's too cold up high, the animals drop down, I have low country to hunt them in. Hey, it's a really warm year, that low country's not going, I'm going to go hunt them at tree line where I have colder temps and the rut might be taking place. Um, And we did that this year in in a type situation where we had bulls that we scouted that we thought for sure we would kill with a muzzleloader for my buddy's dad um, in low country and we got there the bulls were talking a little bit they're starting to gather a harem 90 degrees during the day all the animals were nocturnal you had an hour to hunt in the morning and it was hard we done did some scouting at that tree line had a bull there located i mean after three days of the start of the season after this giant bull in low country we just said hey it's not right rolled it right up to that top country i mean the first eight minutes of that hunt had a 360 bull on the ground um strictly by not committing to one hunt having multiple options and playing the rut conditions and the the most optimal animal to make a harvest on um and we did that and it was successful so not that i'm not saying you shouldn't go in there that far i would just have multiple options and i wouldn't get so stuck in your head hey i have to do this style hunt 
keeping your mind open to where the best situation is is always a good thing to have have in mind. Sometimes it can be extremely physical and extremely tiring. You know, doing a, a 20-mile hunt in a day and coming back out to do another hunt, it kills you at the end of the season. I lost I – mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm – I'm definitely not Joe Fitness going into a hunt. Uh, this year I lost 28 pounds doing 117 miles on a five-day hunt. You know, and that's bad for your body. You know, you're puking, and it's it's not good for a body to go through that. Um, but it was one of those situations where I had bulls so separated. I would go in after one one day, and you know, wind wasn't right, the animals weren't right, so I had to commit to another hunt the next day, and and back and forth. And you know, I had a, I had a giant bull down. I, I really had a goal this year of killing a massive five by five. That was my goal. Uh, so I ended up killing a, a 340 inch five by five, and you know, I, I met Nicely my goals done. and my dreams. Um, <laughs> but it can be rough. But again, so many people would. I, I had two bulls of that caliber located, two big fives, and. It's so hard not to commit and make that great backcountry hunt because we watch it, and there's just something magical about being in that backcountry, never seeing another hunter. Everything I preach is more about the success, not about the experience, and that can be wrong sometimes, and I would definitely tell everybody, make the experience what it is. At the end of the day, for me, it's about the animal, not necessarily about the experience, but I play everything I can to, to have that, that animal of my dreams. Okay, so um, talked a lot about scouting, um a lot of a lot of people I'm I'm talking to, they're uh, they're coming from the city, or they're new hunters who uh, who don't really understand a lot of the challenges. Nope. Um, what would be one of the one of the biggest struggles or biggest biggest things you really feel like people need to overcome when they're going into the backcountry? You know, the the mental game is one of the hardest things, and I that can be from a lot of things. I mean, there's no doubt that no matter how hard you train. I think you always hunt harder than you train. Most people. I mean, obviously, you have the, the extreme physicalists that are, that are hardcore trainers and they're good, but I would say the average hunter, um, no matter we're, how We're not all Cameron Haynes here. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, um, no matter what it is, you end up pushing yourself more. So, obviously, the, the no sleep. You know, even when we train, we still sleep at night. All of a sudden, you go in the hunting world, you know, and there's times where I do a lot of nighttime scouting. You know, if, I, if my confidence is low, I keep waiting for these bulls to turn on. They're independent. You know, I, I can't quite get to them, whether conditions are right or whatever. Um, I'll go out at night, and I'll sit on top of ridges, you know, starting at midnight. And I'm just listening for these bulls to start bugling just to where I can say, hey, the rut's finally going to start happening. I know the next couple days is my peak time before that bull gathers a harem. Um, so there's days where I'll scout, you know, 11 o'clock midnight scout until first light then go hunt all day and then go home sleep for two hours or sleep in the truck for a couple hours or in tent and then back out that night and whether it's the physical or just the whole hey i've hunted hard we all have this thought that we deserve things it's just what it is you know i've put my effort in i deserve to hear an animal or see an animal or get a shot um there's a million things that get you discouraged you know or i've hunted hard and all of a sudden you know that perfect hunt some guy with an atv drives through your spot or comes hiking through and you know or you've watched boy scout troop shows up in the middle of you know or i mean i've seen a lot of it where again these aren't our animals you know i can't tell you how many times i've scouted these just premium animals and you're like this is gonna be amazing you know and you're sneaking up to this animal and you know boom you hear a gunshot and you're just like oh no you know and your dream animal gets shot and there's nothing that'll take the wind out of you more than seeing the animal that you wanted to harvest you know laying on the ground it's not you with the picture um so there's a million things that come into it but i think that mental challenge of keeping your head in the game you know you have to be positive you have to be patient and you have to be persistent you have to stick with it um I mean, if I look through, you know, the photos of my personal kills, you know, it's like I live in Colorado. I think I've harvested 17 bulls in Colorado. Um, I can't tell you any of them that have, number one, came easy. 
but more importantly, number two, ever came early in the game. I always play my hunt to where I never ruin it. So many people get too excited and they make bad decisions. We've all been there. We've all been excited. You know, I mean, in life, you know, you get excited, you make bad decisions. Um, hunting especially. And guys push the envelope and you ruin a hunt and you ruin all your work of scouting. So I'm very laid back on that. I'm patient. I make sure that the situation is perfect where when I do finally rush in there to take the shot, I know I'm going to get it done. I know I'm going to be successful. Um, so there's a lot of times where you're so close and you make the decision to back off. And it's frustrating, you know, because then you might not see the animal the next day and you're just like you know i needed four more steps and i would have had it done and now i don't see it am i going to get him again um so there's so much of that mental challenge and i don't i wish i had advice for how to overcome it you just have to grind i mean you have to keep your head there have to wake up early you know i talked to so many guys last year like the colorado rut was, was really funky extreme high temperatures the the rut action was low the animals talking was low they were screaming at night not so much during the day and you know, I've been in it enough to where I knew, hey, it's not going to be a problem. We're still going to get it done. But the average hunter, you know, all of a sudden they have a week off and, you know, four days into the hunt they're sleeping in. I'm going to sleep in one morning or mm-hmm. the afternoon hunt. I'm just going to hunt the morning and, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to go back to town and, you know, refresh everything, you know, in the afternoon. And they wouldn't hunt the full hunt um, just because the mental game is bad. I, I know it happens. You just got to know. You got to keep your head into it, and you got to grind. Um, and hard work definitely gets paid off. I mean, it always gets paid off. Um, you know, and I like I always refer to a water hole. I talk to people all the time that love hunting water holes. Whether you're a person that physically can't do the extreme hunt, um, or just a person that, that chooses to do that, a water hole is an extremely successful way to harvest animals of all species. You know, elk, deer, bear. Um, I always tell people, if you want to hunt water, you have to hunt it five days in a row, and you have to hunt full days. You have to sit there the 13-hour days for five days straight. If you do that, you'll always be successful. It's just how it is. If you look at a trail cam on a water hole, if you match it for five days, you always have an opportunity one time in the five days. But you can't hunt. Like, let's say you break it down into hunts to where it's morning and afternoon hunt. If you do eight out of the ten hunts, it almost never works out for you. It always seems like it's that one hunt that it's you're just guaranteed to be the one it, you it, miss. That's just the it. one where so they pop out. I look at that as the same thing. You know, if I have a, a week long hunt and I have you know seven days to hunt, you got to do the fourteen hunts, morning, afternoon. You have to grind all the hunts, and you're going to be successful. So just keep your head in the game. Just know that you put all the work into scouting, and just follow through. I mean, it's like following through on a, on a swing of something. You know, once you do the work, just stick with it and, and grind it out. And you know, whether you have to take the midday breaks, take the naps, eat better food. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, just, just got to make sure you just keep your head in the game. So you mentioned uh, something about night scouting. Yep. Uh, tell, me, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, I, I think it's a good thing to, one, let's say, let's say you didn't have a flawless scouting trip. You don't know where most of the animals are in an area. Um, like a bull that's like a, an elk that's very vocal at night. We do a lot of scouting for those in late light periods. So as the rut just gets started, those animals will, will be vocal at night. 80 times more than they will during the day. So especially for that first week, first two weeks. So if you don't have an idea of where the animals are at or I'm mentally getting disturbed, I haven't heard a bugle, I'm starting to lose faith that they're there or you know whatever the case may be, we go out at night, especially that, that early morning, midnight to 3 a.m., midnight to 5 a.m., um, those bulls will be so much more vocal. And the biggest thing is, it doesn't hurt to call to them. So you can let out a bugle, let out a cow call in the middle of the night. They'll respond back, and they almost forget about it. I don't know what it is. They, <laughs> they tend to not panic. As to where when I bugle to a bull during the day, you know, 
if you're not the best elk caller out there, they will get used to that call. After you call that animal two, three days in a row, they almost know the gig's up. You start bugling at them, they shut up because they learn that tone. Um, mm-hmm. As we're in the middle of the night, whatever the reason it is, they don't seem to get super call shy. So they'll answer right back. They're very vocal at night. So... Number one, I locate where they're at. Number two, I start watching their migrations. Hey, you know, I know when I see him during the day, I know he's in this valley going to bed. At night, he's way up here. So all of a sudden you can start saying, hey, I know my morning hunt. If I start here, my wind's this direction, I'm going to have a jump on that animal. I'm going to be a little closer and I can get it done. Uh, There's a lot of times where I'll stay with those animals. I'll go out in the middle of the night. And I'll, you know, I'll get within 200 yards of this bull, and I'll keep him talking every hour just to stay with him. And I'll literally walk to where the second I can see my pins in an archery situation, I know I only got to go 40 yards, and I can take the shot. So there's, there's a lot to be said about that. But, but that low-light scouting, um, you got to make sure it's legal in the areas you're at. You know, some people consider it pursuing of the animal if you actually call the animal. Uh, but whatever, you just got to make sure you're legal doing it. But we go out and do so much night listening and night calling and night scouting just because the animals are, are so much more out and about and vocal. Um, builds the confidence. You learn a lot about how much the animal talks, how the cows move, uh, the direction and, and destinations that they're going to, uh, and just a piece of that puzzle that all of a sudden daytime comes, and it's very simple to, to get in there and make that hunt happen. Fantastic. So now that you're not guiding anymore, how often would you say you're, you're out, on a, out on a hunt? You know, absolutely. You know, I, I try to hunt as much as I can in the fall. So I would say I'm putting in a... A weak year, I'm going to try to put in 50 to 60 days, and a strong year, I'll try to put in 90 days. I try to be out there as much as I possibly can in the archery season. I'd love to follow up in the rifle hunts. So I hunt. I do a lot of filming, you know, with, with various partners. Um, I do a lot of hunting with family, friends. Everybody in my family hunts. My wife hunts. My sister hunts. My mom hunts. My father-in-law hunts. My sister-in-law hunts. So, you know, it's just a big community. So, you know, I get as much excitement as about being out there with somebody else um, than I do as myself. So I join in. You know, if I have a buddy that's going I don't have a tag, I love to jump in there and just go with him just so I can just take that experience, you know, and build up the repertoire of, of knowledge about these animals. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely scout it, hunt as much as possible. I have a, a strict relationship of 60-40. I try to scout 60% of my total available time, and I try to hunt 40% of my available time. That's the number that I suggest hunters do. You know, if you have a wife and kids and a life, and you say, okay, I'm allowed 10 days to hunt. That's my vacation time or whatever it is. I would scout six and hunt four. So many people would rather hunt more, but scouting these animals to where you know everything about them, where that first day you're successful it's going to help you out. I always tell people, if anybody spent five days on a hunt before and you went home unsuccessful, how many people out there would give anything to have that sixth day? Everybody's driving home being like, man, one, one more day. day. <laughs> and you hear that all the time. And it's because they didn't scout enough. They went out there. They hunted. They actually spent full days in the field like they should scouting. They finally found animals. They finally learned about the animals. By the fifth day, you're like, I got it figured out, and you got to go home. If you scout to the fullest, your first day of hunting will be like that last day of a traditional hunt. So those are the type of things we really, you know, support people. Hey, put far more time scouting. I say 60%, 40% hunting, however you want to work the relationship out. But, but scouting really does lead to a more successful hunt. Um, you know, I try to do it. I bring my kids out. I have three-year-old twins. They love coming out scouting. You know, they got their little fake binoculars. They sit in the back of the truck and they glass hilltops, you know. But it's nice because scouting, you might not have to commit. I don't get as physical, you know. A lot of times I'll sit on top of a ridge or sit in a low-lying valley, and I'm just glassing miles and miles. So you can do it before work. You can do it after work. 
I don't have to commit full days. You know, I work my normal job, um, and then I'll just tie in those quick you know, mornings and afternoons in a scout. I learn a little bit of information at every hunt. That's my goal. Every time I'm in the field, learn something. I have a giant notebook of animals. I try to keep track of which animal does what. Just keep an eye on those animals, keep track of them, uh, and keep your head in the game, and you'll be successful. So, uh, so what's on the what's on the plate for this year for you? What's what's your exciting hunt that you're really looking you forward know, to? Excited about a couple of things. I'm going to do uh, an archery hunt that is going to be in wide open country this year. So I'm going to be doing a mule deer hunt uh, in fairly open country. I anticipate it's going to be a lot of a lot of mess ups. I anticipate having <laughs> to find a lot of animals. Uh, you know, these animals are going to, I'm going to watch them during the day. I'm going to bed them down, put them to bed. And I'm actually going to try to hunt them in their bed. Um, you know, so it's going to be a lot of like an Eastern Plains hunt to where, you know, anytime you're in those, those open countries, so we'll hopefully sneak in within a comfortable distance, kind of do the, the whistle. He stands up, hopefully get the shot off. Um, a lot goes wrong with that. You know, a lot of times you put an animal down and, you know, you spook other animals trying to sneak up to them. I mean, wide open country. Um, I'm going to be hunting some burn area. So I'm excited about that. It'll be fun. You're going to see a lot of animals. Um, I should have a, a really good uh, pronghorn tag in Colorado. Same thing. Nice. Wide open country. Um, do our best to be successful, but same thing. It's going to be a numbers game. You have to have a lot of animals located. Um, you know, in- looking at the same long distance type shot. In wide open country like that, do you ever you work with like decoys or anything like that? Um, you know, in an archery situation for a pronghorn, I, I have a giant cow decoy. So I'll have a, a giant cow that I'll walk behind, almost wear it like a like a like a giant shield, um, and I'll walk up, hold it on one hand. I can place it down. I can shoot around it, above it. Um, so on the archery game for pronghorn, I definitely have I have a cow decoy. Um, water is the best way to hunt those animals. I can't do it. I mean, you guys can't see me on this podcast. I'm sitting here fidgeting my hands, moving around. Water's not an option for me in an antelope. <laughs> I cannot do it. You know, I sit for eight minutes and I see the pronghorn off, you know, 600 yards. He's coming to me and I still get out and chase him. Um, so I'm all about the pursuit. On the deer thing, I don't use any. I am all about just trying to sneak up and, and probably taking that longer shot. Uh, you know, this year I'm excited. I'll be shooting the Rain 7 by Bowtech. Um, it's probably the most long range capable bow that I've ever had in my hands. Obviously, every bow is different for different hunters. Um, that bow allows me to take shots greater than I ever have before. So I'm excited. I, I actually plan these hunts that I haven't done in the past because they've always presented longer shots that I wasn't capable of. Um, I'm very excited to have those, those hunts there. Uh, I'm going to do another late, late late rifle archery hunt for elk. So I'm going to draw a rifle tag, late season, you know, I mean, giant pack boots going to be like I'm in Antarctica. Um, I'm going to use a bow for that. So I'm going to do that again. It was so much fun last year. I've never seen so many animals. So I'm really excited about, about doing that this year. Um, Going to do some other other non-stuff. Uh, hopefully do some more waterfowl this coming year. Uh, okay. I'm going to do a bunch of turkey stuff in the spring. Very traditional stuff, no, nothing crazy. Uh, typically do a couple mountain lion hunts in the winter. Um, so, no, should be, a, should be a fun year. Got a lot of hunts with uh, some female hunters. My wife is going to pursue bow hunting uh, for her second year. Last year was her very first. My wife, uh, big game hunter. My father-in-law is a guy in Alaska. I mean, brown bears, moose, the whole deal. Um, she's harvested mountain goats, you know, bighorn sheep, all with a rifle. Very successful lady hunter. Um, hasn't done with a bow. Last year um, actually had a tag appear that we didn't have. Uh, you know, uh, it was a tag that took a couple years to draw. Had opportunity to get that tag through a landowner voucher like a week before the season was over. So I literally went to, to my eyes and said, hey, we got eight days left of the season. We're going to get a bow. We're going to learn to shoot it in about four to five days. We're going to go out hunting. Um, <laughs> she had 
three bowls bigger than 350 within 40 yards. Her comfort zone was 30. She goes, I want to shoot within 30. We couldn't get the bulls within 30. Uh. She passed them up. No big deal. Uh, we had a ball hunting together. So she's going to do, uh, you know, she's practicing a lot, shooting great now. So she's planning on, on a full archery hunt next year. So I'll be hunting with her a lot. Uh, then, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of family and friends. And obviously, over the next couple months, we'll see what tags we draw. You know, hoping, yep. to, hoping to sneak in. My family and me, uh, we both have a lot of, of points for, for the moose, for the bighorn sheep, for the mountain goats. Hopefully somebody, once a year, usually draws a high-end tag. So we all go with that, make it a, make it a family affair, and hopefully we'll be successful. That's awesome. All right, so we're getting close on time. Let me, let me just throw one last thought at you. Yep. So once again, got a lot of people uh, who, are, who are sitting there thinking – this big game hunting, backcountry hunting, hunting period is is out of reach for me. I live in the middle of the city. It takes me an hour before I can see any lake that yeah. <laughs> that's not lined with cement. Um, you know, what what would you tell someone like that who feels discouraged because of that? Feels like they can't go out. And yeah, do I that? think anybody can do it. I mean, I, I grew up big game hunting without anybody. As long as you have the drive, you know. What I mean, you, you just can't can't be that quitter. You got to have the drive to do it. And I think. So many more people are willing to help if you just ask. And I don't think enough people ask. You know, you can come to, to most of the professional big game guys and just say, hey, get a tip, you know, help me out. And most guys are going to be willing to give a tip. Now, when you bug the heck out of somebody, a lot of times that's where they lose interest. But most guys are going to be willing to, to give a hunt. I will not say no to any question. Anybody asks me a question, I am all about helping out. I can help anybody. Hey, you got an idea? This is a suggestion. You know, I might not plan your whole hunt, but I'm happy to say, you know, here's some units to hunt, or here's where you start. Um, most DNRs of every state, you know, in Colorado, it's the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, no matter what state you're in, most wildlife agencies have a program set up for new hunters. You can get on their computer and, and see draw results. You can see animal counts. You can get all this information to where a little bit of time prepping can go a long ways. Figure out the success, um, you know, between asking a few questions to the few right people and, and the DNR's help, you can usually plan that hunt. And as long as you're willing to, to work for it, it's always there. So, I mean, just just know that the opportunities are there and, uh, you know, do a little bit of homework. Talk to, talk to a few people that have been successful or been out there. Um, you know, approach them in a really kind, nice fashion. Hey, when you have time, can I ask you a few questions? Um, most people answer that. Talk to the DNR and, and kind of go for it that way. You know, and try to make it fun. I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, make the, the prep of the shooting, the archery shooting, the rifle, the muzzleloader, make that entertaining and a part of your lifestyle. Um, you know, make the, the training a part of it. You know, take the, the normal workout, spin it with a hunting style, and, and you'll have fun with that. Have fun with the scouting. Bring your family and friends. You know, bring, bring you the girlfriend. Bring the wife. You know, make a romantic sunset evening out of it. <laughs> uh, you know, watch animals. So, I mean, just, just try to tie it all together build the education with the education comes success and, and it's good for everybody well thank you so much for taking the time out Absolutely. of your day to join me i really appreciate it uh and hopefully we'll get to chat again for sometime sure. soon I mean, good, you know, good luck Lillis, with your you hunts can, you can try to find us on social media you know again we're not super active but you know i have my own facebook page and my fishing page is tightline outdoors we're very active on that i have natezhunt.com uh coming on the website very shortly uh and then instagram with Nate Z Hunt. but uh no we'll uh, we'll hopefully become social in the very near future there we go and i'll make sure to link to all of those on the show notes Absolutely. page and uh hopefully uh, good luck with your hunts this thank year thank you very much man we'll have a good time you too All right, y'all, that is going to do it for Living Country in the City, Episode 7. Now, make sure you check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 7. And don't miss a single episode. Find me on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast platform by searching for Living Country in the City. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to give us a good rating and share with your friends. 
In the meantime, stay country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 